Welcome to the Skull Search, where Tyler Fornis, the real Forno, is joined by Matt Valdivinos of the Pro Football Network to talk round bellies. morning and welcome to another episode of the Skull Search Podcast. My name is Tyler Fornis and with me today is a good friend of mine and an offensive line guru, Pro Football Network's Matt Valdivinos. Matt, how are you doing this morning? I'm always doing good. You know, I feel good. It's a gorgeous morning. Um, I'm having a good time. That's fantastic. We're going to we're gonna talk some of those big uglies up front and uh, especially when it comes to the Minnesota Vikings. The fan base thinks we're a guard away from a Super Bowl run. And while that's a little hyperbolic, it's it's been a real issue for the Minnesota Vikings over the past few years. Guard play has just been uh, straight up abysmal. And as far as looking forward into this draft class, that uh, the Vikings do have Riley Reef and Brian O'Neill tackle. We don't really know what O'Neill's uh, situation is going. Sorry, not O'Neill's, but Reef's situation moving forward. Uh, if you're the Minnesota Vikings, looking at their offensive line. Who are some interesting guys up at the top of the draft that you might consider going round one? Well, with Reef, I mean, we talked about a lot of them throughout the season, whether or not he was going to get moved. I think he's a capable left tackle, right? So if they move forward with him this year, that's cool. But if not, I do think that that becomes one of the bigger needs and honestly a substantially bigger need uh, than replacing one of the guards. And so I think when you're looking at the Vikings there, pick 14, it's kind of right. 14. Oh yeah. Just want to make sure. Um, Mm -hmm. I think you should get a pick of one of Slater or Darasaw should be there. Um, and those are the two guys I'm looking at right there. Personally, though, Christian Darasaw is far and away my OT2. So I think the value at 14 is phenomenal. Um, they love the athletes, right? We, we've talked about that off the camera or off the uh, podcast is just how much that they value these, these high athletes, um, these premium kind, kind of guys at the offensive tackle position and, and at the offensive guard position. And Darasaw fits that. I think he's the best athlete at the top of the class. Um, he has my second highest grade behind Penny Sewell. And honestly, the separation between Darsaw and Sewell is smaller than the separation between my OT2 or my OT3 and Darsaw. So uh, those are the two guys that I think Darsaw and Slater are the most likely outcome at 14, whichever one's there, because I expect the Chargers to take one of them. But if you're looking, you know, maybe a little bit later in the draft, if Minnesota moves back or if they decide to move back up into round one, someone who makes a lot of sense with what they love is a guy like Samuel Cosme uh, out of Texas. Super, super high-profile athlete, probably the best overall athlete for the position at the class. Uh, had a really, really good career at Texas. I wasn't super, super high on him coming into the year, but I thought he had his his best year this year. Uh, he cleaned up his hands. He became a lot more consistent with his footwork. Uh, still a little bit light, and I don't love the anchor, but the athleticism just explodes off of the screen. So I think those three guys in the first 32 picks make the most sense for the Vikings. Overall, Cosme at 14, a little bit kind of rich for me, but I wouldn't hate it, right? Like, I, would, I wouldn't I would despise this election because I understand the need and I understand their preference for guys like that. But if they were going after someone like Cosme, I think they should probably try and find a trade back first. Yeah, and you mentioned something interesting that I wasn't fully aware of before we started recording. Mm-hmm. Darisaw is that close to Sewell for you. What about yeah. Darisaw's game brings him up to a level like us in the media where – Sewell is this OT one with a bullet. It's untouchable kind of guy. Yeah. Unless you're Daniel Jeremiah. And when he says something, you gotta, you gotta really take things seriously. But I, yeah, with, with DJ, my, my biggest issue is a lot of, I, I could definitely see the NFL falling in love with Ray Sean Slater. Um, 
which is I can understand why Daniel Jeremiah. What Slater does is a lot of technically refined stuff. A lot of um, he just understands the position and he plays it well. But he's not real big. He's not real long. Uh, his anchor is suspect, and he's not great at the point of attack. I think Christian Darasaw. You're given, you know, maybe a more raw player. He's not quite as refined as Slater. His feet can get clunky at times. His hands aren't always amazing. But an elite, elite athlete uh, at the position already, probably a sub four nine five guy, right? So, so fits into that Vikings mold. And for me, like I'm cool with the Bengals taking Slater or Darsaw all the way up at five if Sewell's gone. And so I'm very, very comfortable with Christian Darsaw. He gives me a lot of Trent Williams vibes. Um, who I know Vikings fans were when Trent Williams was on the block, the Vikings were super, super common um, landing spot that people wanted to talk about, ended up going to San Francisco. But he gives me the kind of vibes in the way that plays. He uses his athletic ability and his explosion to make the hard blocks, the reach blocks um, on heavy zones. He would make a, it makes a lot of sense to run someone like Dalvin Cook behind him, uh, give him get Darsaw in open space, let Dalvin Cook use that explosion. I think Darsaw is perfect for that. And his upside as a pass protector is excellent. At times when the feet are clicking, very, very smooth, natural out of his set. The hands are aggressive and strong. So I definitely think he's a phenomenal finisher. So I definitely think he's one of the top guys. He would be my, he would have been my OT3 in last year's class, which we know was stacked at the top as well. Um, and he's my fourth highest grade tackle between the two classes overall. Just uh, so I remember, who was your OT1 last year? Was it worse? Yeah, last year I had Worfs, Wills, Thomas, Beckton. Yeah, that's that's how I had his stack too. And the, one question I have for you is like when we look at last year's class, because I think Makai Beckton was just that specimen, and we kind of talk about a guy like Samuel Cosme. They're different mm-hmm. players, but as far as projection wise, you kind of see a little bit of the same elements where you're just not hundred percent sure how fast it's going to translate. And Makai Beckton came into the NFL and took it by storm and that arguably was the top 15 left tackle year one. Uh, when you look at his his uh, uh, potential as a prospect last year and then moving forward, how did that help you learn when you kind of look at those athletic specimens mm-hmm. like Cosme? Well, so for with Beckton, my biggest concern was that he wasn't a super he wasn't supernatural with his athletic ability. Yeah, you could see the finishing was obvious, right? We knew he was going to be a dominant run blocker from day one. And you can make the case he's the best run blocking offensive tackle in the NFL right now. And I, I wouldn't concede I do think it got a little bit lost in translation translation over the course of the season was that he he looked like a lot better pass protector. He looked a lot smoother. And that's going to happen going through a, a training camp in the NFL. But he was, I think he finished in the bottom five and sacks had given up uh, for the position. Now that's not a great metric, especially when you're playing with an offensive line that is pretty terrible mm-hmm. outside of him. And Sam Darnold, we know he can see ghosts at time could just be running into defensive ends. But I do think that Beckton still has a little bit of room to grow as a pass protector, but I do agree he's probably a top 15 tackle. And if I was picking a tackle to start my team, he would be one of the first five selections. So with Beckton, it was kind of hard. I think it's a little bit different with Kozmi because my biggest issue with Beckton was that, yes, he was an elite athlete for his size, but he was not an elite athlete overall, right? So the the weight-adjusted athletic ability is hard for me because I don't, there's no formula that turns pounds, that turns overall body weight into speed and what the correlation should be, right? There's no specific number that if you weigh this much, you should be running this fast. No one has that because there's no actual evidence to support anything like that. With Becton, it was, okay, this dude's moving at the weight of someone who's like three foot, 315 pounds, but he's 355. And so, yeah, that's cool. But when you saw someone like Tristan Wirfs, who I really, really loved, it was someone who was 325 pounds moving like someone who was 275. 
So that's where I kind of think that the, the athletic ability comes into play because yes, Becton was an overall elite athlete for his size, but is he still an elite athlete for the position relative to the other weights of other people with Cosme? I don't really have that problem. And he's pretty light Cosme, I think is listed at like 300 pounds, right? So he's 50 pounds lighter than Becton. I think he's a guy who's going to be like a Tristan worst level tester, someone who's going to be a top two to three percentile overall in just his, his physical makeup. And so with him, it's, it's easier to project, you know, a high ceiling. Now I'm not super, super high on coach me just because I do have some concerns with the anchor real, real light, but I could see him developing into a premium pass protector real early into his career. If he can get kind of his feet, make sure they stay consistent, which he started to do real well in this past year and make sure his hands stay consistent. Now, if he works on that anchor, puts on a little bit of weight, maybe 10 to 15 pounds throughout his career, he'll be fine. And I still think he's probably a top five to six tackle in this class. Uh, but with Becton, it was a little bit different just because Becton was so, so massive, not just tall, but he was just so heavy that it was hard to gauge. Is he an elite athlete or is he an elite athlete for his size? No, I, I hear you. That, that makes sense. I just kind of, the way my brain works, you get a guy like Becton who you just have some questions about, but he's got that athleticism. And then you kind of have similar, but different questions with Cosme. And it was really good to hear you break it down because Becton is just, he's just a weird anomaly. How are you supposed to engage a tackle who's 360 pounds and can actually move better than a golem? Like just, it's just a different realm, but I want to kind of move forward and talk about some guys kind of in the middle rounds, because as much as I would love to have Derisaw at 14, I don't project the Vikings doing it. Uh, So I want to talk about some guys like who are some guys in that kind of like round three, round four range, which is where I expect the Vikings to go heavy with uh, their projected six picks in those two rounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, who are some guys that you really love? Well, someone that I'm a big, big fan of my favorite, my personal favorite FCS tackle. We saw him at the senior bowl is Dylan Raddins out of MDSU. Um, real, real high functional athlete fits that mold. Great size, six foot five, uh, 305, 310 pounds is a nasty, nasty finisher and real, real smooth pass protector. Honestly, he's going to be a guy who's finishing close to Kozumi with me because I think that the physical traits are there. And I think he's just super, super well-rounded in his ability as a a run blocker and a pass protector. He gets out in space really, really well. Um, And when he gets out in space, he moves, he flies. So he's someone that I'm really, really high on that I really, really like. Um, Another guy, Brady Christensen out of BYU, should be a good athlete. And then James Hudson out of Cincinnati as well. Two other guys that I think are going to get selected in that late round three, early round four range, who maybe aren't super, super ready to start right now, but have the athletic ability uh, and the mental makeup to be a quality starter down the road. Uh, Now, whether or not the Vikings want to take someone who's more prepared to play left tackle from day one, you could take someone like Alaric Jackson out of Iowa or Landon Young out of Kentucky but those guys don't really fit the mold that they draft. Right. So it's just dependent. If you're looking at what the Vikings want to do, my guess is that they would prefer someone that fits the mold that they've always wanted to do. Right. Fits the mold of what they've done in the past. And then what Rick Dennis and the new line coach has done um, away from the organization with, you know, where he's worked in the past is just those, those great athletes. So I think Christensen and Hudson make a lot of sense. No, I, when I, I haven't had a chance to really delve into Hudson. And when I watch him at the senior bowl, my goodness, those athletic traits just pop. Yeah. And you realize that he's already playing as well as he is. And he's two years into the position that, you know, high school defensive lineman was mm-hmm. transferred from Michigan, man, if, if he gets with a really good offensive line coach, Zach, he could be something really good. Uh, one guy I want to ask you about uh, two guys, a um, couple senior bowl guys that I really fell for during uh, watching during that week, Deontay Smith and David Moore. 
Deontay Smith, I think, kind of fits the general profile what the Vikings are looking for. And David Moore is weird because he's a long bowling ball, but he, he doesn't have bad movement ability. Uh, what do you think of those guys, and how do you think they would translate to what the Vikings profile? Yeah, both are awesome at the senior bowl. I'm actually still looking for some East Carolina tape um, to get to Deontay Smith. Shout out his mom for retweeting me, though. Um, Same. But, yeah, he yeah he looked awesome at the senior bowl. Uh, in the 1v1s, he was awesome. Uh, displayed the athletic ability that we've talked about. The hands were good. Um, he finished blocks. He, he was more than ready for, you know, he was one of those guys who we weren't really really on or aware of coming in, and, and he was excellent. So that's someone who I really like. My issue is I don't know where the NFL values him, right? It's really hard, especially with these smaller school kind of offensive linemen, because I, I haven't seen the tape yet. So I don't know if he was just dominating his level of competition, but I feel like if he was, East Carolina is still a big enough school that we would have heard of him, right? With Quinn Miners, it's like, okay, that dude went to D3, right? So it, it's understandable that not really much of any people, anybody knew him real well. With Deontay Smith, he went to East Carolina, right? East Carolina has produced guys like Gardner Minshew. They, they've done, you know, they've produced NFL caliber players. So with Deontay Smith, I just think it's, it's hard to evaluate where the NFL is going to take him. I would imagine he's going to be a day three selection, but with, like you said, you know, he fits the mold. The Vikings have drafted the athletic ability look, you know, was there. I think he can play tackle in the NFL. It's just a matter of where the NFL takes him. I think day two is kind of early because like, you know, we've said the level of competition is not going to be great. We don't know a ton about him, but if you're getting him on in round four, round five, you know, I think that that works out perfectly with David Moore. It's a little bit different. Um, I think we know what he is. Uh, he's a guy who I think can be a spot starter, but I think he's probably best suited to be a swing tackle in the NFL. Um, really, really love his, like his nastiness, his, his choices of just obliterating a block. If, if the defensive lineman will give it to him, we saw what he did to Carlos Basham on a rep. Um, he was chirpy. I yeah, loved he, it. yeah. He was, he was with all of the smoke. And so, but he's a guy who I think is just going to be, you know, around five round six player. Uh, who probably in the NFL is best suited to be just a swing tackle. Probably not going to ask him to start uh, 16 games. You're not going to want to go into a season and say, all right, David Moore's our left tackle. Yeah, I, I wouldn't necessarily uh, think about David Moore as just a starting tackle. I, mm-hmm. Did he play tackle in college? Because I thought he was a strict guard. Uh, I could pull it up. Yeah, because his body. Oh, 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 out of Grambling. I'm sorry. I'm talking about Dan Moore at Texas A&M. Um, okay. <laughs> Dan that, that Moore. Explains it. Yeah, you are right. Um, Moore was. Yeah, yeah, he was. So yeah, Dan Moore. I think would be a swing tackle. Dave, mm-hmm. guy. David Moore with the Grambling. We don't exactly kind of like Deontay Smith. Not a hundred percent sure um, how the NFL is going to value him. He's not going to be on the same level like Quinn Miners, who I think could be uh, taken as early as day two. Um, David Moore's probably going to be on that day three selection, but I mean, he's that kind of plug and play nasty elite run blocker. You know, he's, he started so many games. He's so, he has so much experience under his belt that we saw that in the one V ones at the senior bowl, we saw him recognize pass rush plans, recognize what people were trying to do against him. Um, I'm not as infatuated with him as others, but I do think he's a quality player in that second level or, or in that, um, ability to move up and get out to linebackers. Um, he showed that in the senior bowl in the seven on seven. So I'm really, I, I do like David Moore. I just don't know how high you can justify taking a player with that limited athletic ability, as well as, you know, coming from a smaller school like Grambling States. Um, 
I haven't gotten to the film, so I haven't done a full film eval yet, but I do imagine he'll probably just be a day three player. But he could be. I mean, honestly, I wouldn't. I, I do think he's a guy that the Vikings could take on day three and would be an upgrade over what they have at left guard. Now, I know that's not really, we're not setting a big bar here, but <laughs> but I do think that he fits that profile if they chose to wait for the position. Yeah, I, I think they will end up choosing to wait for the position. Uh, and one guy that was talked about really heavily before the national championship game, and unfortunately he got hurt, is Wyatt Davis. There is a big segment of the fan base that just just drive Wyatt Davis, just fix the problem. I, I don't want to hear anything about it. I don't care about positional value, just fix it. Where are you at with Wyatt Davis, and how much does that injury play into uh, his potential draft stock, in your opinion? I don't try to put too much stock into injuries, um, especially given he's not an injury-prone player, right? What what bothers me is when players are consistently getting hurt because that doesn't just stop in the NFL typically. Um, if it's a freak injury, we understand it happens. It might you know limit him. I doubt he'll go top 15 now. I, I'm sure there were – some possibility of it happening now i would imagine he's going to be a late day one early day two selection um i'm not nearly as infatuated with davis as others right some people talk about him like a top 15 player and he's just not that to me um i don't think he possesses the athletic ceiling to be a top 15 player um i don't think he possesses the elite pass protection that i want to see from a guard that i'm taking in the top 15 right he's not quinn nelson he's not brandon scherf Uh, he's not guys like that he's not zach martin quit like 19 Mm -hmm. or whatever um with Davis, he's a guy who might – the biggest concern for me is that the interior – I don't really love the interior offensive line class. Um, my favorite players at, in the interior are both centers naturally, right, in Creed Humphrey and Landon Dickerson. I also like Elijah Vera Tucker, but he's, you know, played tackle this past year, so we don't know what he's going to do in the NFL. So it's – overall, the guards in the class I don't love. Um, I don't expect the Vikings to even consider guys like Deontay Brown or Ben Cleveland or Sedarius Hutchinson, right, you know, some of these, like – higher profile guys, but all are like 340, 50 and 60 pounds with not great movement skills. So I don't think the Vikings would even consider them. And some of the better athletes in the class are playing center. So with a guy like Wyatt Davis, I do understand that he's really the best you're going to get in the class at the guard position, especially for the Vikings who have a kind of niche of what they like, but you're not going to get him in that round too. So either you're taking him at 14, trading back to take him or trading back up into the first or early second to take him. Now, whether I don't think that's great value, a trade down, that's whatever, but you shouldn't trade down aiming for Wyatt Davis, right? You shouldn't trade down and be like, this is what we want to happen, because if that's the guy, then you should just take him at 14 anyways, and I don't love that value. I'm right there with you, and I, you kind of touched on a couple Alabama guys. Uh, I wanted to ask you about Alex Leatherwood, mm-hmm. because there's a lot of talk between, is he a guard, is he a tackle, and I think he's somebody that the, the Vikings might be interested in. I don't think he's going to necessarily uh, – jump uh, off the charts athletically, but I also don't think he's going to be low enough where the Vikings are going to be like, I'm staying away from him. Where are you at with Leatherwood? Um, I like Leatherwood. I thought he was one of the better tackles in the country this year, um, especially with still sitting out. I think Darcy was probably overall better and Slater sat out as well. So I do think that Leatherwood was one of like the two to three best tackles in the country this year. Uh, the length I love, right? I don't, I don't think enough people talk about that is his arms. When he locks out, his arms are like tree trunks, just super long, very, very powerful. The feet, the issue with his tape, and we saw it in Mobile too, is he's just so, so inconsistent, which is a huge part of playing offensive line, right? Mm Because people, you know, you can go five straight games, not give up a sack, and no one will say a word about you. But the second you give up one, everyone's talking about it, right? So with with offensive line, you have to have that level of consistency because that's the most important part of playing the position. Uh, I think Leatherwood has the ability to be a really, really good tackle. I do think he's 
an above average athlete. So that should be fine. Um, and when the technique, when his hands and feet are clicking, it's very, very good, right? He's an Alabama guy who started like three years and he's got experience at guard and tackle. Um, so when everything's clicking, he's very, very good. And he's a first round player, but when things aren't, when he's getting kind of besides himself, when his feet are getting tangled up, he's just not a great player. And so he has to find that middle ground of just finding that consistency overall. And I think he can be a great tackle, but personally, because of that consistency, I'm probably not going to take him until the like late day one. Like a team like the Steelers is like, where at 24 is where I would start the Alex Leatherwood clock. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, I just got a couple more questions for you, Matt, and then I'm going to get you out of here. As far as Creed Humphrey, is he center only? I don't think so. I don't think anyone's a single position only, right? Some people tell you that like, oh, he's a left tackle. He can only play left tackle. Oh, he's a right tackle. He can only play left tackle. Then the same thing for center and guards. Um, Creed is so – it's just hard to – one, it's just hard to justify moving him because he's been the best center in all of college football for four years, which is kind of crazy to think about. Um, and I think he's been so good for so long that we're kind of just like, all right, what's next? Um, let's talk about somebody else. And so that's my issue is Creed's never really done anything to me to lower his stock from a top 2025 player, right? He's been that way since I thought – since I watched his tape as a redshirt freshman. And so, and he was on the best offensive line in the country at that time. Um, not a lot of people remember just how good that Oklahoma offensive line was when he was a redshirt freshman. Oh, it was ridiculous. Um, amazing. Produced five NFL players and he was the best of all of them. And so with Creed, I think he can play guard if you ask him to. Um, and I wouldn't mind having him play guard. It's just hard to say, hey, dude, we know you've been in the elite center for so long. We need you to do guard. I'm sure he would, right? Most offensive linemen would because they love the team, but mm -hmm. it's just hard. Yeah. And uh, along with Humphrey, does a lot of people put stock into a left-footed punter versus a right-footed punter? Does it matter at all that he's a left-handed center? I don't know. So I played the position right, but that would probably be better suited for someone who's like taking snaps. I've, I've never in my life caught a snap from someone. Um so I personally, I have no idea. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and pretend I do. Uh, I could try and find out and I can get back to you, but I have no idea personally. That's just kind of a quarterback comfortable thing. Um, if they're cool with it, then it's cool. It's fine. But I don't see a reason why it would be um, besides maybe the rotation of the ball. But if he's your starting center, your quarterback should be able to get used to it without any issues. Anyways, I think the only time it would be real, problematic is if let's say the Vikings draft Creed put him at right guard or left guard I'm sorry over Dozier and have Bradbury snapping and then halfway through like week seven uh Garrett Bradbury gets hurt in like the third quarter and they have Creed Humphrey moving over to center that's when I think there may be an issue because now Kirk or whoever's at quarterback catching the ball it's different right it changes the rotation changes from which side the ball is spinning um, and, and maybe even the, the arc at which it's coming from. But I also think that every time a backup center goes in, there's issues with the quarterback. So I don't know for sure, but I, I could imagine that would be the case. Otherwise, I don't think it would be much of a problem. That's kind of where I'm at. And last question for you, Matt. Mm -hmm. The staple of the show, do guards matter? Elite guards do, and White Davis is not an elite guard, so you shouldn't take him at 14. Thank you very much. Matt, where can the people find you, and uh, what do you have in the works right now? 
Um, please go follow me on Twitter at MV Scouting. We talk offensive line. We talk football. I like to think it's a good time around these parts. If you say something stupid, I will make you look dumb, though. That's just my thing. Um, I write over at Pro Football Network. We're doing some website changes, but if you're ever doing a mock draft, I encourage, I implore all of you to use our mock draft machine. I think it's the most accurate via NFL standards because we make ours off of everything we're hearing, we take in experts from all around, not just people at PFM, but we use guys like Dean at the Athletic, Daniel Jeremiah, Lance Erlein. We we take in the opinions of all of the experts, put that in so that we have the most comprehensive and close to NFL opinion board possible. And we make sure that, you know, all of the players in the boards are actually confirmed to be in the draft. Um, I know that's an issue along some of the, the sites, as well as, you know, I, I do a mock draft for them, I think every like five or six weeks. I don't remember exactly. I've also recently started a YouTube channel uh, over at MV Scouting. Hopefully, we'll be recording my first video here in a couple of minutes. So go check that out. Uh, and then I'm also at Dalton B. Miller uh, is a YouTube show that I show on at every Friday as well. With my boy Dalton. Well, fantastic, Matt. I, I just want to say thank you once again for coming on, talking some old linemen, getting the, getting the big uglies so the Vikings fans can calm down a little bit. And I, I appreciate your time. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Doug. Absolutely. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, have yourself a good day and skull. Thank you for watching or listening. As always, if you like, subscribe, and ring the bell for notifications. And if you're listening to the podcast, please rate us on your favorite aggregator. Skull, everybody.